Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to the Games Master Academy for the very last time. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and if I'm not the best co-host of this show, then the Games Master's pregnant. And I am Ash Versus, and I'm not here to be a contestant. I'm after your job. (laughs) This episode aired on the 25th of November, 1993, and while Meatloaf is still top of the pops, there's a new movie at the top of the box office, and it's a big one. It's Disney's Aladdin. Three years ago, we took you on a magical journey under the sea. Last year, we took you to a place where a beautiful girl looked into the heart of a beast and found the man of her dreams. Now, come with us and enter a whole new world beyond your imagination where a boy discovers a magic lamp and a genie who can make all his dreams come true. 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. So what'll it be, Master? I must have hit my head harder than I thought. Walt Disney Pictures presents Aladdin. You're a genie? That's right! He can be taught! You never had a friend like me. (laughs) Imagine a whole new world of excitement. Imagine carpet. Danger. Whoa, carpet, let's move! And enchantment. It's the story of a poor boy from the streets and a beautiful girl from a palace. Princess Jasmine. They were two very different people. The law says you must be married to a prince. Brought together by one incredible wish. What is it you want most? There's this girl. Pretty. Beautiful. Say l'amour. But she's the princess. To even have a chance, I'd have to be... Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for you to make me a prince. All right! Hang on to your turban, kid. We're gonna make you a Now, we had an inadvertently very long talk about Batman Returns. 
we're now running late for this recording session. And I was thinking, oh, great, we can buzz through the pre-title bit. There'll be a lot less editing to do. It's fine. Oh, wait, Aladdin, because, dear Lord, this could be a podcast episode in itself. Isn't it just, we, we did talk about Aladdin. We had it featured on Games Master Live 93, didn't we? I seem to think, I seem to recall us talking about going to the cinema to see it, right? We definitely talked about the film. I can't remember if it made it into the edit or not. Okay. <laughs> Now, I've got a bunch of facts and figures about Aladdin. I will try and rattle through the most important ones, but let's be honest, it's a fairly storied production. Most people know about what came and went, about getting Robin Williams in as the genie, the fact that he kind of completely redefined what the character was going to be. Also, his very well-publicized falling out with Disney after they basically screwed him over. Oh, yeah. 100% they dicked him over with this. He had a very simple demand. Don't focus on me. And yeah. what did they do? They made it all about him. Don't use me for advertising. Don't use me to sell toys. If you do all this, I will do it for the SAG rate of like, it was something crazy, like $75,000, as opposed to his normal asking rate, which would have been $8 million. Mm -hmm. And they basically reneged on it. And that's why Robin Williams didn't return as the genie for another couple of films. Yeah, he missed Return of Jafar because they got Dan Castanella to do it. Yeah, and then he returned with Aladdin and the 40 Thieves or Prince of Thieves or something. Basically, Whatever called, Aladdin yeah. meets his dad. That was yeah. the plot of that movie. I think it's on Disney+. Plus. It's it not bad. Yeah, and you know what? Neither's Return of Jafar, really. Of the various Disney movies that had direct-to-video sequels, I think Aladdin fared the best because Aladdin as a character lends himself to further adventures. Stitch from Lilo and Stitch also did pretty well yeah I remember being at my uncle's house um when he was he was looking after us once and he said to us do you want to watch aladdin 2 and it had only just come out and it blew my mind that there was a sequel to aladdin and i almost didn't believe him and so we started watching and i was like this is aladdin 2 this is another adventure and man i, I was enraptured by it. i thought it was great on the if you want more information on the robin williams thing i would very much recommend watching Lindsay ellis's video that she did on this so she did a big deep dive into it and talked about how the, the, the contract came about how jeffrey katzenberg sort of dicked people over michael eisner did all of his bits and bobs but she also talks about how the fact that robin williams was the celebrity voice changed how animation used voice actors and how the celebrity voice became the big thing that's essentially what dreamworks entire model is based on is just that don't really care about who these characters are care about who is voicing these characters and that's still you know that carries on to this day i mean looking at the rest of the cast though he's not the only big-ish name in there no. i mean we've got scott wanger linda larkin jonathan freeman douglas seal that's fine Gilbert Gottfried. Oh yeah, as Iago. He got this off the back of uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. So he yeah. got this off the back of a live action role. Gilbert Gottfried, without a doubt, one of the most recognisable voices in comedy. It's like yeah. wiping your ass with sandpaper. You will never forget it. One of the funniest things I've ever seen is Gilbert Gottfried reading sections of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, you have not lived until you've heard him utter the phrase, my nipples pucker. <laughs> no fisting, you say. Anything else you object to? I agree to the fisting, but I'd really like to claim your ass. But also stalwart of the animation industry frank welker is in there as well because he is a boo yeah yeah and the thing is it's an amazing thing to say but you listen to the noises that abu makes you know it's frank welker 
Oh, yeah. It's like you've been welcomed. <laughs> if you watch a movie and you hear a creature sound or some other sound effect and you think, was that Frank Welker? Check IMDb. There is a higher than average chance that you've just been welcomed. Absolutely. Um, Bob Mackey said this on an episode of Talking Simpsons. Uh, I think it was on What a Cartoon fairly recently. He was like, when Frank Welker sadly passes away, there's going to be so many voice opportunity like jobs available to, to up and coming talent because the industry just goes like, hey, we need a noise. Get Welker on the phone. He will probably at this point just do it over the phone. The call quality is clear enough. <laughs> and guess what? If you don't have a phone, he can probably do a sound effect for one of those as well. So it's got a score by Howard Ashman. He provided the lyrics. He worked with Alan Menken until he tragically passed away partway through production. Uh, Tim Rice took over after Ashman's death and completed it, but their work paid off and it garnered two Academy Awards for its soundtrack. It was also the last Disney movie to be fully based on a fairy tale or folklore until 2010. It was this, and then it was Tangled which took on mm. Rapunzel. I think Tangled's actually quite underrated as well. I dig it as a movie. Does Princess and the Frog not count in that? Is Princess and the Frog directly based on folklore? Because it's a it's got the New Orleans jazz setting. No, it ta- it takes the idea of when well, you kiss the frog to create a prince. It kind of takes like that that classic trope and then puts it in a completely different setting and twists it and turns it on his head as well. But Tangled is Rapunzel, Rapunzel. and while the characters have been changed, the setting and the general story is the same. So I guess that's where where that particular factoid is coming from. And yeah, still kind of holds up. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think that Tangled is is highly underrated. I think it's better than Frozen. Oh no, I'll agree with you on that one. I've got no love for Frozen to the point I've still not seen it. (laughs) I think Frozen's great and all. I think it's a really, really great movie, but Tangled's fantastic. But in addition to the awards for music it got from the Academy, there was also a special achievement award for Robin Williams. I don't know if he actually went and picked that up because by that point he was probably already fairly pissed off with Disney. Disney, who trying to make up for their mistake, they bought him, was it like a Picasso? Yeah, they, they they went out of their way to try and make it up to, to Robin Williams. It eventually worked because he did come back. Yeah, they had to kiss some serious ass. The movie, with its merchandising and its video games and its box office receipts, was a cultural phenomenon. It paved the way for The Lion King, which was already well into production at this point, but also became a cultural phenomenon. Now, Luke... Something I didn't know until I did the research for this podcast. This film was released in November 1992. Yes. And was released in England, November 1993. We waited a whole goddamn... I mean, I'm used to films being released later in the UK, particularly at that time. In fact, mostly at that time. Now it doesn't happen because everything's sent digitally and whoop de Um... But a year. Oh, yeah. It was out on video in America before we saw it in theatres. Different times, man. There'd be uproar in the streets if they had to wait a year. Like, there's uproar if, if there's, like, a week's difference between release dates. But, yeah, like, it's it's nuts that it was an entire year. But I tell you what, dodgy Dave down the pub would have had a full year of selling bootleg videos of this made from America because I'm amazed it only stayed at the top of the charts for one week. I mean, this is it. This is all we get to talk about Aladdin as an actual film feature. You know, we may refer to it as a game in the future, but this is it. One week and done. Dave, 
had longer. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, really. Like you'd have thought that it would have had a much bigger impact. Like it is top of the weekend again next week, but yeah, like the the whole week over is man without a face. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame that we don't get too much of Aladdin. I, I remember like, you know, having conversations with people being like, yeah, Aladdin, that's a 1993 movie. When we were doing the research for this podcast, being like, it's a 1993 movie. And then like, when you actually look at how like the, the box office of 1992, and then there's Aladdin, you're like, it's not 1992 that film came out though. That came out in 1993, like as with British eyes. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wild. But like Aladdin was such a, it, it was a huge thing for Disney. They'd, uh, they'd struck gold with, bear in mind, like they were struggling. Walt Disney animation was going to close down. They weren't going to make animated features anymore. During the 80s, it was a rough period for them. Roy Disney wasn't doing great. And they were like, no one wants to go see animated films anymore. And the Black Cauldron was going to be it basically. Like that really felt like that was the death nail for them. And then it was Michael Eisner coming in and sort of kicking ass being like, we are fucking Disney. We are animation. Like, let's try and like, let's be proud of the work that we're putting out. And Little Mermaid was a big hit. How'd you follow up the Little Mermaid? With another big hit, an even bigger hit in Beauty and the Beast. How'd you follow up with that? An even bigger hit in Aladdin. How'd you follow up with that? An even bigger hit with The Lion King. Like, they went on such a roll into the mid-90s. It's a shame that Pocahontas, they touted it to be a big Oscar movie, and it, it, it wasn't, unfortunately. But like that as a four film run, that's a, that's Jim Carrey's 1994, like right there when he had the mask Ventura and Dumb and Dumber back to back as like, oh, this guy is like king of the box office. Disney reasserted themselves as king of kings of animation again. Last thing I'll say on Aladdin is that I watched the f- out of this on VHS. I went to the pictures to see it with my parents. Absolutely loved it. Um, when I got it on video, I didn't actually, as I said, I didn't get the game for the Mega Drive, which surprises me because how much I enjoyed it. I actually played it around a friend's house. I got Sonic Spinball instead, but I got the VHS the following year and I watched it so many times. I remember once watching it back to back, like it finished and I wanted to just watch it again. So I just rewound the tape and watched it again, pretending in my head that it was Aladdin 2 because I wanted more of it. I, I watched it so, so much as a kid. But anyway, yeah, that's enough Aladdin chat. Some big games to talk about this week that came out, though. Aladdin being one of them, it got its Super Nintendo release. We've already had the Mega Drive version. The Super Nintendo version is out now, as is Fatal Fury 2 for the Super Nintendo. On the Game Boy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Radical Rescue, which is, I think is one of the Game Boy games I didn't play from the Turtles franchise. And Kirby Pinball Land is also released. But the biggest release this week in the arcade is Virtua Fighter. Wow, there is a game that is breaking ground and i'm amazed that i don't know we're not seeing more coverage of it i mean i've got was i'm guessing this was released in japan yes this is arcade out in japan yeah i mean i've got the latest issue of games master magazine here and i'm going i'm going through the network section like the news section there's not there's not a jot in there there's nothing about virtua fighter there's there's news about super street fighter 2 and introducing the four new characters including cammy who is no longer Guile's daughter. Oh, that's good. Looking at Wikipedia, this is saying that it got released October 1993 in the arcades in Japan, European territories, and the United Kingdom. It was only in North America that they got it later, and that they got it November 28th, 1993. It's already been out in the UK. That's so surreal. I just don't think of Virtua Fighter as being a 1993 game. I think of it as being like a 94, 95 game. But no, this, this is the start of 
the 3D fighting game revolution. We start with Virtua Fighter. Sooner or later, Namco get in on the deal and Capcom make a few tentative steps with porting the Street Fighter franchise over, also rival schools. And yeah, but I, I, my brain just can't register that it started here. I mean, this was Sega's answer to Street Fighter and to Model Combat, and the way that they separate themselves out was by having 3D polygonal characters. It looked incredible at the time. Doesn't massively hold up, like, you know, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter hold up so much better because they're, they're more timeless things. But yeah, at the time, this was like mind blowing stuff. If you'd have asked me what year did they come out in the arcades, I never would have said 93. I'd have said 94. I, I, and even then I'd have been thinking to myself, I think it's probably 95. I never got on with Virtua Fighter. I feel bad for saying it. Yeah, no, dude, you're fine. I didn't get on with it either. Tekken, love that. Soul mm. Edge, Soul Calibur, Soul Blade, whatever you want to call that various series love that but yeah virtual fighter it was just too floaty it's very floaty that game yeah bloody hell you're on the moon but anyway that's enough of the new games released this week uh what's going on in the magazine because it's new issue time it's new issue it's new staff we've got new people joining the magazine all over we also have a new cover now i showed this to you last week this is a collection of characters that are appearing in games featuring in the magazine and i can see people from rise of the robots are there because rise of the robots gets a big old feature in this issue does it really donatello from the ninja turtles is is there in the background and i'm not sure who the lass with the metal brazier is i mean the, the other games named on the cover we've got elite 2 don't think that's meant to represent elite 2 or it could she's she's kind of in addition to the metal bra she's also got a to be blunt, rather phallic-looking uh, laser gun and a sword. Sonic Spinball? Wouldn't be that. Aero the Acrobat? Wouldn't be that. Super Empire Strikes Back? No. Cannon Fodder? No. Zelda 4? What? We'll get to that. Aladdin, Jurassic Park and Thunderhawk are also featured. And they talk about fighting games, 14 pages of Fisting Fury. Mm-hmm. Dominic Diamond, his spirit lives on in the magazine. <laughs> Diamondism's born again. Step Outside with Rise of the Robots, Robocop vs. Terminator, World Heroes, Super Street Fighter 2 and more. Now, one of those things is not like the other. Mm. Robocop vs. Terminator is not a fighting game. Ah, but it's got verses in the title. And they are fighting each other. Yeah, okay. Also, there's a feature on the 3DO. But I'm going to assume that this last is meant to be from Elite 2, maybe. Who knows? As we go through the magazine, maybe we will be enlightened. But what caught my eye immediately and what we're going to leave it as for this week. Do you remember the Dex interview last month? I do. Do you remember what he said at the end? Uh, refresh my memory. About the fact that over the coming months, he'd be introducing us to some of his game playing friends in his new column. That's right. Yes, I do recall that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what is nowhere to be seen in this magazine? Uh, is it Dexter's feature? There's, there's nothing by Dexter in this. There, apart from in the TV sections, there's barely a mention of him. There is no column. I've resisted looking ahead to issue 13, but I reckon that may have just been junked. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Now, of course, because Games Master's back on the air, we've got the TV news back. And we've got previews here for the episodes that will roughly cover when this is going out. So we've got show 11, which is listed as having the celebrity challenge of Botham versus Gooch on the 18th of November. Oh, okay. It's because we, we, that's this episode, episode 12. We do have uh, Liam Botham playing Graham Gooch Cricket. I mean, what they actually say in the copy is it's Liam Botham versus Graham Gooch's Cricket. 
So they're not implying that Graham Gooch was actually there. They were just going, Liam's taking on Graham Gooch's cricket. They make no mention of another challenger, which, spoilers, there's another challenger. But then show 12 is listed as Danny Bear on the 25th of November. Okay, that's interesting. So they switched them around. But show 13, which is listed as Auditions Ahoy on the 2nd of December, in the review section, they say they'll be reviewing Lawnmower Man, EA Soccer and Plock. Which is what we get in this episode. We get that as episode 12 reviews. Episode 13 reviews has sensible soccer. If I'm, I, I, I've watched it today, but I think it's got sensible soccer in it. Well, episode 12 apparently had Aero the Acrobat, Lethal Enforcers and Sky Blazers reviewed. So either they've done a lot of switching around at the last minute, or there's just been a bit of miscommunication between the Hewland PR department and the magazine at, at Future. Well, no, because going back to episode 11, the review section of that is Arcade's Revenge, Young Merlin, Fidgets, and a utopian feature on the classic strategy game Sim City. Oh, we didn't get that Sim City feature. That's not an episode 13, I can tell you that much. What the bloody hell is going <laughs> on? Maybe that's why we had Dave Perry pulling stuff out of his arse last week, because they were <laughs> short. But the show was already airing when this went to print. So it shows that they were really chopping and changing stuff around. So show 11 became show 12 and show 12 became show 11 and took the reviews with it because show 11 did end up having the review for Aero the Acrobat, Lethal Enforcers and Sky Blazers. And then show 11 became show 12, but got the reviews from show 13. And we have had Arcade's Revenge, Young Merlin and Fidgets reviewed, but I think that was episode 9. It was episode 9, yeah. I've actually just realised, and I'm not even going to attempt to redo the entire section we just talked about because it got very confusing, but I was wrong. Show 13, according to this guide, isn't the start of the challenge. Show 13 is a half an hour show on the auditions. Which is basically the feature that we get in episode 12. Yeah. And then the challenge starts in episode 14, which is listed as All Change on December 9th. My head hurts, Uh. Luke. I'm very confused. I, I would wager then that that was the plan that they had. They were going to have this episode. The episode 13 was going to be this. Here is all the auditions and here's the introduction to all the teams that you're going to see take place in the team championships. They put the cut together and actually realized this isn't a good show. This is not a good episode. Let, let's excise this. Let's truncate it down and we'll put it as the feature of episode 12. And then episode 13 just starts the team championships. My head still hurts, Luke. It it does show how close to the wire they were cutting some of these edits, though. But I'm going to leave Games Master Magazine there for now because I would expect there to be a few changes and a few differences. And originally, I just thought, as I said, they'd got episodes 11 and 12 mixed up and maybe the reviews were in a different place. But then an entire episode's gone. Mm. We get a three minute summary and then that's it. Because they clearly filmed a lot of stuff because we see it. We see it in the feature of this. But speaking of, shall we move on to the episode? Thank you. Games Masters Island Academy, our syllabus covers everything from platform games to beat 'em ups to shoot 'em ups. Now, only two contestants have dared engage in tonight's rigorous exercise, but only one of them will be going home with the fabulous Games Master Golden Joystick. Let's go straight over to the Games Master and see what he's got in store for us. Now, the intro for this show. I was watching, I was like, God, this feels very, very familiar. And you'd have just heard the clip then, and you'd you'd have thought to yourself, God, that does sound familiar if you've been listening to this podcast. But this isn't like Series 2, where they reused intros. This is the same intro as Series 3, Episode 6. 
but it's not the same take. It's just the exact same scripts. Welcome to Games Master. Here at the Games Master's Island Academy, our syllabus covers everything from shoot 'em ups to beat 'em ups to platform games. Only two contestants have dared engage in tonight's rigorous exercise, but only one will have the chance to walk away with the fabulous Games Master golden joystick. Whoa! Let's go straight over to the Games Master, find out what he's got in store for us. I'm actually glad they did that rather than just reuse the same take because yeah. it was really obvious when they did it before. And at least if you're using different takes, there's a slight variance, even if the dialogue is the same. But it's time for our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For our first test of games playing skill, I have a game featuring a friend of Roger here, Bubsy the Bobcat, on the Mega Drive. Your challenge is to collect as many yarn balls as possible in one minute, using secret tunnels and waterfall runways. Speaking of water, how about a bath, Roger? Oh, there's a name that strikes fear into a gamer's heart. It's Bubsy the Bobcat. Yeesh, I mean, what is there to say about this ginger prick? It's a game? <laughs> it's a perfectly fine game in all fairness as well. I think people's ha people's hatred of Bubsy comes from the, the, the sequels and that 3D game. Oh, look! An arrow! Aren't these game designers wonderful? Giving you a guidepost to help you find your way? How convenient! Some of the hatred should come from the director, who said that he wanted to create a game that was as fast as Sonic and as deep as Mario. Make your bollocks it on both counts, because this game is floaty, and this game is about as deep as a gnat's piss puddle. Oh, yeah. But it did have, I suppose, some notable qualities. One was the kind of amount of sampled speech, because Bubsy, he was a wisecracking SOB. He was really annoying. But it wasn't for want of trying because it did go through quite a lengthy development process, including a very daring focus group in December 92, where they got in a bunch of local kids, kids who lived near Accolade's office in San Jose, and they were given pizza and soda and invited to play the game. The children were asked to comment on the game's aspects, and their suggestions included adding secret paths, which is something that was picked up on by the dev team and which, you know, we will see come into play in the challenge. But dear Lord, Fizzing up and pizzering up a bunch of kids and then asking them to help you kind of beta test your game. That might explain why this game is so weird. Oh yeah, fun toys are fun. So it came out for the SNES, it was also out for the Mega Drive, there was also a PC port, which was released in 1995. Wow. A Super Bubsy. Stealing the Super Nintendo's thunder there. That's their gimmick. All the versions looked and played almost identical, but with one key difference. The Mega Drive version had catnip causing Bubsy to go mad, but Nintendo couldn't have a cat getting high on cat drugs, so they had bananas instead. Uh, okay. Obviously, what, what yeah. else would you choose? They did market the hell out of it. They were really trying to push him as being the next Sonic or Mario. He won EGM's most hype character of 93. They really thought this would be a hit. They really did think they, they put a lot into this. You know, we've seen... Uh, we had Era the Acrobat last week. We've got Plock on this episode. We've got Bubsy here. This is a, a, an era of video gaming where the mascot is important and you need to have a mascot front and center and that is what is going to sell games. We saw it with Bugsy last week as well. Sonic has been such a huge hit for Sega. Mario has obviously been a big hit for Nintendo. This is a mascot war. And yeah, they are banking on the fact that Bubsy is going to become this hugely popular character and that is going to sell the games. I mean, GamePro over in the States, their reviewer called Feline Groovy 
who I think might have a bit of character bias here, considered the non-linear levels to be a high point, the controls a low point, but judged that Bubsy had more personality than Sonic the Hedgehog, thanks to his charming animation and voice clips. I was going to say, it'd be the voice clips, because Sonic is a silent character until the, you know, the TV shows come out. But he's still got more personality and is way less annoying. And even just the little idol animation has more actual realistic character than Bubsy the smegging bobcat. But she gave it 5 out of 5 in every category except Control, deeming it a must-have for any gamer's library. I would argue <laughs> with every single one of those summarizations. Yeah. But you know what? It's here. It's what we've got for our challenge. So the game is Bubsy the bobcat. Now let's meet our two contestants competing for a place in tonight's final. Ian Hutchinson from Cheshire and James Seguet from London. James Ian, hello. Hi. So, you've uh, been practicing on Bubsy the Bobcat, have you, the pair of you? Yep. Yeah, a Who's been coming out on top then? Me. Yeah, I'm probably going to creamy. It's going to No, don't underrate yourself, you'll do fine. We've got Ian from Cheshire and James from London. Now, last week, uh, you were talking about how Kelly had a timeless look, and you said that Danny Bear had a timeless look. I would argue that James from London, I mean, it's not a timeless look, it is a look of its time, but I wish it was timeless and I wish it was still here. This lad is wearing three quarter length shorts and these are proper baggy ass three quarter length shorts and they're plaid as well. They've got a really cool pattern to them and he's wearing a bomb ass Cypress Hill t-shirt. Hello bands, who is playing with the London Symphony Orchestra? Come on people, somebody order the London Symphony Orchestra. Possibly while high. Cypress Hill, I'm looking in your direction. Hey, man, did we order an orchestra? What's up with this orchestra, man? Where'd the orchestra come from? I don't, I don't know, know, man. I didn't tell me about this, man. We gotta, do, we gotta do something. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, we think we did. Uh, do you know Insane in the Brain? We mostly know classical, but we could give it a shot. <laughs> He's my dude. He is absolutely my guy. And I want him to do well here. And it sucks that he doesn't. My note on him said, James is wearing a Cypress Hill shirt. I bet Luke will have a comment about this. <laughs> you would be right. Because let me tell you this. Black Sunday is a fucking great album and Cypress Hill rule. But both contestants, regardless of their shirt choices, have been practicing on the game and apparently... Ian has been coming out on top, and James confirms it, saying that Ian is going to cream him. And here's a Dex trait that I like. Dex bigs up the contestants. Yeah, it's like, no, don't put yourself down, mate. You'll do all right. It's a bit cheesy, but you know what? I really, really like it. I, 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 I find it endearing. I think you can tell from James as well that, you know, they spent the day in the green room essentially practicing this challenge over and over and over again. They said like, here is a stopwatch, time yourself for a minute, see how many bolts of yarn you can pick up. And if Ian has beaten him every single time, then James, I mean, James looks like he's kind of already been beaten. Like he walks into this being like, yeah, no, he is going to beat me again because he's been beating me all day. It made me want to see James win more because he's coming into this as the underdog. And unfortunately for the underdog, he also gets to be the pace setter as he is first up in the hot seat. With me in the commentary box this week is Chris Knight. You want to tell us a bit about this one? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one to see how they cope. Just uh, a minute to collect as many yarn balls as they can, but there's two or three different routes they can take and one of those 
gets the most yarn ball, so it's up to them to make the decision. Mm, good stuff. Make sure they choose the right route. They've got one minute Absolutely. or one life to get as many yarn balls as they possibly can. Chris Knight is in the booth as well. Um, doesn't really have a lot to say. He just points out that there's a few routes that you can take. One route will give you more uh, balls of yarn than the other, which I think is they were they were hoping that they would take two different routes, but they both end up doing the exact same path. And James is up first, and he he kind of he does well like initially, but misses a jump that would have netted him a few more balls of yarn. There's like these log flumes, and he gets onto the first one, but then he doesn't make it onto the second one, so then has to take a different route. He picks up an extra life, which he doesn't need, and then he goes through this hidden route, which kind of like cuts off half the level. And then he does get, you know, a good bunch of balls of yarn towards the end. Gets to 66, but with four seconds left on the clock, unfortunately gets killed by a manhole cover. It's a terrible way to go. Um, but 66 seems a not unrespectable score. And, you know, certainly the winning total isn't much higher. One thing I did make a note of is just as Dex is seeing him off to the challenge, he makes an airplane reference, which I proper laughed at. Good luck, everyone's counting on you. Which I just immediately saw Leslie Nielsen in my head going, good luck, we're all counting on you, <laughs> just repeatedly. And again, Dex is a smart guy. He must have seen airplane. He knew what he was doing. Uh, Ian is up next. Uh, he actually gets some straight away. There was like three balls of yarn that were behind you, like as you start the level, which uh, James didn't pick up. But yeah, as I said, he does the literally the exact same route that, that James did. It's up the log flume, down through the secret tunnel. And yeah, with um, he only needs seven more and he's got 30 seconds left on the clock. He ends his score with 69. Nice. nice. But he also had nine seconds left on the clock. He basically gets past the 66 score and they're like, cool, end the challenge. Um, it, with the other nine seconds, he probably would have done way more, but they didn't need to. They're just like, cool, end it there. He's already won. James, you were doing pretty well there for a moment, but then you got splattered. What yeah. happened? I just got hit by that manhole. Ian, so, pleased with that challenge? Yeah, he made some mistakes at the beginning and let me in. I yeah. took it from there. And you walked away with it. Let's have a big round of applause for both of our contestants. In the post-match, James basically goes, I got hit by a manhole. I, now, I misheard this a couple of times, I'll be honest with you. I, and, I, and I wrote this down in my notes. I thought James said, I got hit by a man whore. Man whore. And I was like, James, what are you saying on television? And then I was only this, I was like, oh, man whore. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, because that is what you got killed by. Man whore. Ian does say that James made some mistakes at the beginning, which let him get the win. And which actually is quite a nice way of saying it. He's not saying... I won because he was a bad games player. I won because he made a few mistakes. But realistically, if they'd let the clock go, he would have pounded him into the ground. It would have been game set and match and more balls than you can possibly handle. Now, I this is something I wanted to note as just before we do get into the team championships because this is the you know the last episode of like the traditional style of 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 series 3 if you want to call it that. And I've spoken to a few people about their thoughts on Series 3, you know, as we've been reviewing it. And some people have said to me that one of the reasons why they haven't enjoyed Series 3 as much as they have Series uh, 1 and 2 is that the kids have been way more gobbier. Like, you go back and you you think about what we had in Episode 1 and 2 and 3, and they were a lot of like, no, I'm going to cream him, man. I'm going to completely destroy him. I'm going to wipe the floor with him. That was like really kind of like, so it was like aggravated playing. It was kind of like, you know, trying to be amped up. But I think as the episodes have gone on, we have just had much nicer kids just being like, yeah, no, he did really well. I was, I, I was just the better player at the end of the day. And that's, you know, it's kind of nice for us to end on that note here where, yeah, he basically goes like, 
he just made some mistakes and I was able to capitalize on those as opposed to being like, he was shit and I did way better. He's a tool. I think one of the reasons why the Gobbier kids are also less popular in watching it in retrospect is because none of us like to be reminded that that's what a lot of people were like as kids, including some of us watching it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I was quite that Gobby, not because I'm bigging myself up as a kid, but just I don't think I had like the balls to do it, to be honest. Oh, God, yeah, I went about the cojones to do that. But I, I went to school with so many kids that were exactly like the mouthy little shits that we saw earlier in the series. We'll just say him by name. It's Akbar. We're talking about Akbar from episode one. I mean, yeah, he was a mouthy little shit. <laughs> we don't punch down, but it's not punching down to say what he is. And he was a mouthy little shit. <laughs> and I'll be honest, as we go into the team championships, we are going to get some more mouthy little shits. We've got one coming up today that he's going to make a career out of it. We know he makes a career out of it. <laughs> it's cartoon action all the way in the new platform stomper for the SNES, Plock. There's a multitude of secret bonus games for our transforming hero to find in this crazy character-filled caper. Hooray, another platform character. Just what we all need. I love them, don't you? Good jobs, there's plenty of them. Well, Plock's come along to join Pugsley and Co, and by God, he's got nothing to recommend about him. One thing that intrigues me about Plock is the way the, uh, the gameplay is non-linear. All right, you've got to walk along the usual type platform environment and all that kind of stuff. But the backgrounds are really wild colours and everything. It's superb. Some of the most attractive and colourful graphics you're ever going to see in the Super Nintendo. They really are gorgeous and the sprites are incredibly funny. What isn't funny, however, is the gameplay. Our motley crew in the reviews end this week is Steve Merritt from Megatech, our favourite Brad Burton from Over the Edge, Frank O'Connor from Total, and Dave Perry from Mega Power, and they're first looking at Plock on the SNES, which we talked about kind of like briefly before talking about like you know it's that mascot era of gaming yeah this is a mascot platformer which means it doesn't go over particularly well um with our reviewers here particularly steve who's really not happy to see yet another platforming character um and you know so there's nothing to recommend about it like brad being the, the beacon of hope that he is he likes the colors uh, yeah like the really vibrant colors about it but the game overall 69 percent nice nice well not nice they're quite mean to the game and it does make me wonder if the game had taken the direction it could have because the game grew out of an unfinished arcade game that was called flea pit and that was around in about 1990 the character himself had been created in 1989 however the game was cancelled but the character's creator retained the rights and he had some of the footage and the designs and everything on a videotape went on found someone that liked it and that's what turned into plock as we see it now it was almost a nintendo game Mm. it does feel very nintendo because it's kind of got like a yoshi's island aesthetic to it and you know it's got like the sort of map of like super mario world exactly that it was presented to nintendo and miyamoto was interested he wanted to work on this game he thought this looked pretty cool however they decided against it And the developer of the game remarked that I suspect Yoshi's Island was already in development at the time. Uh And perhaps Mr. Miyamoto decided Block was too similar for it to be worth working on both. But despite turning it down, the game still clearly had some fans inside Nintendo HQ because you know the Mario All-Stars SNES set that came out with the bundle in Mario All-Stars with Mario World. Mario World, yeah. It came with a videotape that was a promotional videotape for the SNES. And Flock was one of the games featured on that. Oh, cool. Nintendo clearly still liked it. And the character of Flock did not end with this game. It later went on to appear in a webcomic, which takes place 20 years after the game and features some new characters 
and some returning ones, and the soundtrack was released on vinyl in 2020 via Respawn Records. Oh, wow. The soundtrack was composed by uh, Tim Follett, who, when it comes to that area of games, he was a name. In fact, mm. Rock and Roll Racing, the SNES version, the soundtrack, he was the guy that did the interpretations of those rock songs. And that's just him covering someone else's work. Like, he's done music that is way better than the games it's attached to, and Plock is probably one of those cases. Lawnmower Man was a film about virtual reality. With five real and 12 virtual worlds, you two can now blast the evil soldiers in suburbia, then enter cyberspace in this multi-level game of the film. Lawnmower Man, the game, doesn't really adhere to the plot of the movie particularly well. But what it does offer is a nice variety of gameplay. You've got a cyber zone. When you enter there, you go into mode seven heaven. It really is 3D graphics as you've never seen before. It really is a visual and digital trip. Whizzing through tunnels in this virtual reality cyberscape, it's just brilliant. But then you have to come back to Earth for another boring platform section. Uh, unfortunately, 50% of the game's not enough. Well, next is a game that I have used the music a lot uh, in Under Consultation's history, um, which we've been doing for a year now. Um, we're recording this on uh, the, the one-year birthday, not one-year anniversary, the one-year birthday of, uh, of Under Consultation's launch, um, January 7th. And I've used the music from Lawnmower Man on the Super Nintendo a lot because I've basically used it anytime someone's talking about virtual reality. And so, yeah, the music that you're hearing in the background, you've probably heard a fair number of times uh, on Under Consultation in the past. I really like the SNES version of this game. It came out for a couple of different platforms. The Sega CD and PC versions were not platforms. They were interactive movies. But I kind of dug the, um, the side-scrolling platformer shooty thing it was very contra very metal slug it was that kind of gameplay and then you've got the vr sections which is what our reviewers spend a lot of time focusing on yeah i mean uh, brad calls it mode 7 heaven 3d graphics we've never seen before luke <laughs> yeah and uh, i mean steve is that's the bit that he really likes you know it, it, he loves the the vr stuff that wasn't overly enamored with the platforming stuff which is why he's like if, if only 50 percent of the game is good then you, you know it's hard to recommend it the game still gets 86 percent though which again like we said with uh era the acrobat last week that's a strong recommendation it's a strong recommendation and there is nothing like bad about this game but i think one of the reasons the runny jumpy platform shooty sections don't hold up as well is because those mode 7 sections they look great even now because they're so bright and vibrant and they do carry that very early to mid 90s idea of this is what cyberspace is although because mm. it's a snes game there's no sub games involving you know Mm. The old, how's your virtual father? Mm. So I was glad it got a pretty good score and it has made me make a note to go back and continue playing it because I was playing it for a while and then I stopped because life happened. And so I'm going to go back and give it another shot, see how I do. Throwing over 2,000 frames of player animation, 48 international teams, three tournaments and a four-way player option. And what do you got? FIFA soccer on a mega drive. I love football games, me, and EA soccer is perfect. They've really done their research to come up with a game which is both playable and realistic. The goalies dive, the players tackle, and it just looks so good. Total control over the gameplay, choice of tactics, and scorching goals that are backed up with brilliant action replay functions. Football fans have finally got what they've been waiting years for. It's all there, you couldn't ask for more. It's perfect, it's simple, and it's playable. Get it. But up next, it's the big motherfucker of football games. This is where it all begins. FIFA International Soccer, or as you know, it was sort of known in its development days, EA Soccer. This is FIFA. 
FIFA, the new game we've been playing for you know nearly 30 years at this point, this is where it started. And holy shit, my brother got this game for Christmas 1993. I got Sonic Spinball. He got FIFA International Soccer. We played both just as much. And because FIFA is a great, great game. And this will become like the definitive football game that Games Master kind of like really holds its hat onto for the next couple of seasons. They absolutely love FIFA. I'm almost reticent to talk about it too much here, even though it's such a big game, because we're going to be covering it a lot. Oh, yeah. As, as we go on. Yeah, we've got three weeks of it. So, like starting next week, we get three whole weeks of it. But but just to briefly cover how it came to be, because EA had already dipped into the sports market. They'd been doing John Madden for a good few years. They'd also been doing ice hockey games under the Electronic Arts Sports Network banner. And so EA's European branch decided to do research to find out what sort of sporting game would sell well in Europe. And apparently... To get the answer of football required research. Yeah. I reckon that was just someone looking for an excuse to expense a lot of pub lunches. Because (laughs) if you turned to me, even in 1993, and gone, what sporting game do you think would sell well in Europe? I'd have probably gone, oh, football. If you're you're a kid on the schoolyard and you're meeting new friends, what's one of the first questions you ask? What team do you support? Like, I'll be honest, I get asked that question like now in uh, in my mid thirties by people who watch uh, the Wrestle Talk channel. Like they just like you know, if they want to get to know you, that was the first question they'll ask you. What team do you support? And what's your answer? But it, we, neither none of us watch football, unfortunately. I mean, like, I mean, sort of me and Ollie don't. A couple of the younger kids do. <laughs> the younger kids. <laughs> hey, I, uh, Nugget's twenty. Like he is a he's a younger kid. He's fifteen years younger than me. But anyway, they did their research and they found out. Oh, look, a football game will work well. So they gave it to a team of ten developers in Canada. They, they may know. They, they, you know, and I don't know if soccer is popular over there. I mean, it might be now, but I'm not sure if it was in 1993. Well, you know what? Whether it was popular or not, thank God they did a bang-up job because we have enough shonky football games available at this point in gaming history, including US Gold, who are holding the 1994 World Cup license because this game deserved that license. This was the game we were playing in 1994. We weren't playing the US Gold one. I can't even remember what it was like other than probably shit. There's been a, we've seen a lot of the football games on Games Master across the three series that we've done thus far. And that's not including, you know, all the ones that have been released, you know, like Jaleco Goal and Sensible Soccer, you know, gets great reviews and stuff. And Sensible Soccer is in the review zone next week when it's ported to the Mega Drive. But FIFA becomes the gold standard of what a football game should be. And basically every game after this is just trying to copy what FIFA did and, and actually perfected almost first time round. It's such a good game. I, I remember like my brother um, having a full blown, like like not a tantrum or something, but like so annoyed. And his mate still brings it up to this day of the, the great goal scored in, in Reading in 1994, which is how he'd crossed the ball in and the player who'd crossed it glitched to be the uh, to be in the center of the penalties of the penalty area to overhead kick it into the net and it is like he goes it's the greatest goal scored in fifa history and whenever they get together it's always brought up and it still irks my brother to this day because he lost the game because of that glitch (laughs) and you know what fifa is still a good game to play like mechanically it's still a great game to play in its current iteration but I think what made that game so appealing is long lost to time because it's all Mm. become about the loot crates. We've made jokes about it before. 
but yeah, FIFA packs and stuff like that. Um, and it, put this way, I will still play FIFA games on Game Pass, but the passion's not there because they're always trying to sell you something. It's always on the upsell. Yeah. Whereas this game, as they say, it's got like two and a half thousand frames of animation or whatever. And it's just, it, it just, it's so good. This era of football games, this era of NHL games, NBA Jam, stuff like that. This is where gameplay was king because you were selling the game. You weren't selling a platform that you could then make microtransactions on top of. Or, you know, it, it, even worse like than doing that. I mean, which is, I think that probably is the worst thing, but they're just releasing the same game every single year now with just, you know, just a, a, an updated roster and charging you 60 quid for the privilege and then money on top of that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible business. But you know what? Like the, the, t- the team love it. Like the, like the crew here absolutely love it. Uh, you know, Dave Perry shows up to really put the game over, talks about the action replay functions. Frank calls it simple and playable. Get it, 95%. That is a fantastic score for FIFA International Soccer. And do you know what? It was out on the Mega Drive. It came out for the 3DO as well. It was a pack-in game for the Gold Star 3DO, and it was pretty damn good on the 3DO. Mm. Guess what, Luke? Atari Jaguar. Atari Jaguar CD. Wow, the CD version. Yeah, guess what? Didn't come out. Didn't come out. No. Oh, well. One of these days, one of these days I'm going to give you a game and guess what? It will have come out. Today is not that day. You may remember a few weeks ago we put out the call for the best video game players to audition for the Games Master Team Championships. Well, this is it. The biggest video games audition ever. Out of 5,000 applications, we were looking for just 27 teams to compete in the championship for real. The game was tough as the teams had to battle it out on Street Fighter 2, leg it through Mario World and burn rubber around the Monaco circuit in F1. So, without further ado, let's go and meet the teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Isis, Simon, Durfman, Aidy. Together we are the Essex All-Stars. The armchair Arsenal, the games playing gladiators. And if we're at the best game players, then the games master's pregnant. <laughs> so, we've got loads of kids with loads of mouth and loads of confidence. But let's see how well they're doing on the challenges, shall we? Go and check out some right now. Hello, ladies. How's it going? All right? Yeah. Come on, you can do it. Big kick, yes! Nice one, well done. Hello, mate, what's your name? All right. You're on telly, don't be scared. I'm actually not going to be a contestant. I'm after your job. Yeah, I know that. Are you? You can have the microphone. Okay. Right. You're going to make it through? Of course. Well, we've met you once. I'm sure we'll meet you again later. So, uh, Dixon, yeah. what do you think about the game so far? Yeah, it's really good. Thanks, Simon. Give that back, mate. Cheers. <laughs> Lovely kid. See you later. Let's go and have a look around. Go for me. Looks like we've got a rather dejected team here. Not looking too happy. They're all blaming each other. Lads, lads, lads. Where are you going? Where are you going? We're going home. home. Out the gate. Out home. The... You're going home. What, you didn't do very well? No, failed. It's been an absolute mega day today. We're talking absolutely brilliant. What a day. Mega Monsters challenges all over the place. Kids going mad. Excitement, thrills, thrills. Can you take much more? Well, if you can, the championship starts for real next week. So tune in then. But until then, as for this for baby. Well, here is that feature that we talked about at the top of this show. This is the team championships to set up next week, uh, where which is going to be, you know, the, the, the start of the team championship tournament. And basically, it's Dex taking us through the audition process where they're to play Street Fighter, Mario All-Stars, F1. We hear from some of the teams, the Essex All-Stars, the Armchair Astronauts, and the Gameplay Gladiators, one of who has the line where he says, if we're not the best, Games Master's pregnant, which I've, I've watched this a couple of times, Ash. I've, I've just said it then. I said it at the top of the show as my introduction. I still have no fucking clue what he's on about. It's probably one of my favorite moments in Games <laughs> Master history. 
because you've got these three kids stood there and they're all trying to do their best big up. It's all They're all trying to do wrestling promos, essentially. All trying to be hard men or kids, you know, tough kids. Mm. Yeah, they've all got the names. I mean, the Essex All-Stars is probably the most convincing name. The armchair astronauts doesn't really make any sense. And yeah, the game-playing gladiators who give us that lie. And honestly, there's two possible options. The kid thought he was being hilarious. He was, but not for the reason you think. Because the two kids either side of him don't know what he's on about. And you can hear the the crew busting a gut and just going, we've got to put that in. That's got to go in. It makes literally no sense, but it's brilliant at the same time. But the Essex All-Stars has a very, even at this age, very, very recognisable captain. It is future Buzzcocks host, Simon Amstel. Oh yeah, we're going to get to see quite a bit of Simon Amstel uh, throughout the, the, the latter half of Series 3. Now, I've read a lot of recent interviews with Simon Amstel and... Um, I know he's struggled a lot with anxiety, nerves, mental health. He's gone on to write films. Um, He's had not the easiest time being himself. I mean, Buzzcocks, like a lot of things, it was a character. He upset a lot of people on Buzzcocks. Didn't he just? That was also because he felt he needed to. He felt Mm. he needed to shock people to keep their attention. And it's a thing. Jimmy Carr kind of does the same. Yeah. And, you know, Frankie Boyle, stuff like that. It's, It's kind of a shock comedian, shock jock thing. But I think as a person, he's grown up a lot. And yeah, he's off doing really cool creative stuff now, directing and writing and so on and so forth. Here he is obnoxious little prick. <laughs> yeah, he's the garbage child. Honestly, him versus Akbar, I would struggle to choose who to kind of throw out of the balloon first. Now, we're going to get to the team championships next week. Um, as we kind of like sort of talked a little bit about during this record, I've started watching, I mean, I've watched a couple of the team championship episodes anyway, because I was watching them. Like when we first started doing this podcast, I was just picking episodes at random from like the seven series run and just watching them while I was on the tube. Um, if I didn't have any notes that I needed to make, I started watching the team championship episode today. I'm nearly 10 minutes into it. And A, I've had to take so many notes because there's a heck of a lot going on, but B, I'm not enjoying it as much as I am the first half of Series 3. I'm interested to find out once I've given it a couple of watches and I've really got my notes sourced and I've watched the rest of the episode. But I will say off the bat, I'm not enjoying it as much. And actually, and, this, and Mafu said this will be the turning point for me because I did say to him, dude, I'm enjoying Series 3 way more than I thought. And he said, wait till you get to the team championships. I still need to make my proper notes on the first couple of episodes. We'll see when we get there. We'll see when we get there. We're not going to, we're going to do our best not to shit on it. Because that's not not what we're here for. But if we don't like it, well, we've got 13 episodes of it. And so have you guys. (laughs) More talks about Batman Returns and Aladdin, I guess. And FIFA. Yeah, so, I mean, if you you really don't like the team championships, uh, we'll see you in April when we uh, finish that up and we get to to Series 4. But we mentioned Simon Amstel, and he does have one other key role in this feature, which is, as I quoted at the beginning of the episode, he's not here to be a competitor. He's after Dex's job, at which point Dex brilliantly just gives him the microphone and credits the annoying little git. He runs with it. Credits to Dex. He plays the dumb teenager very, very well. They switch roles immediately and it's great. He's just like to Dex, oh, what do you think of the games you've seen so far? And Dex slouches his shoulders and juts his face out. He's like, oh yeah, I really think the games are really good. The, the graphics are really nice, yeah. And eventually Dex just grabs the microphone back off him and walks off to see other things. 
And the last thing Simon says to the camera at this point is, vote for me. <laughs> Not sure what inmate, but in I reckon what? you'd have got a few. <laughs> He's also going for Mayor of London, probably. <laughs> that, was my, that was my note. I made was like, put me in what, Simon? Um, anyway, they, they, they catch up with a dejected team who are going home because they failed. We even get a little cameo from Metro, who we saw back at the um, uh, Games Master Live episode. And then Dex sets up that next week, starting next week, if you cannot wait, the team championships kick off. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it in a way. Um, as I said, I need to finish up the first episode, but I am actually really looking forward to sitting down with you to review the first episode and kind of, yeah, see how we get on for the next 13 episodes. Last thing I wanted to say about this is, you know, this is a, a, no fault of anyone's really. This is just the way that they structured the TV shows and it's just the way that they filmed everything. They had Dex film a bunch of outros that would take you from the feature out or out from the review zone into the celebrity challenge and it would just be deck standing there being like well that's what you need to know about the reviews now it's time for our celebrity challenge of course what they didn't bank on is that dex is going to end off one of them because dex ends off this feature being like why bad boy why the team championships why it starts next week why i can't wait and then it cuts to dex who just goes all that's fresh and funky there for you in the reviews the fresh and funky in the reviews feels like a leftover Dominic line as well. Yeah, I know. It's just it's a weird juxtaposition of the, of the same man. But anyway, that is all uh, for that. Let's get into the Celebrity Challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Next, we have a treat. A nice, relaxing game of Graham Goosh's Cricket on the Amiga. A feast for googlies, bouncers, and silly midwickets. I've simplified the rules somewhat. Just six balls apiece to prove your batting and bowling prowess. Then the highest score wins. It's as simple as that. Oh, gentlemen, the rain has stopped. Take the field. Oh, it's a challenge that nearly gets called off because it's bloody raining. It is going to mess with Games Master's voice for a little bit. Thankfully, the rain has eased off so they can take the field. But we're playing Graham Gooch World Class Cricket, which is one of many Graham Gooch cricket games. And I think this might be the last one because I think the team then go on to do Brian Lara uh, cricket games with the Mega Drive instead. Yeah, it also uh, got released under different names as well because obviously Graham Gooch, a big name over here, but in Australia it became Alan Border Cricket and in South Africa it became Jonty Rhodes 2 World Class Cricket. But it's an Amiga and PC game. It is a cricket game. Uh, this might be a very short challenge for us to comment on because you know what I don't do, Luke? I don't, I don't do cricket. Yeah, it's not for me, mate, unfortunately. That's another question we get asked a lot on, on streams. It's like, do you watch cricket? I was like, no, I'm afraid not, mate. I um, I hate playing cricket at school. Uh, I once got hit in the chest with a cricket ball really, really hard, and it winded me, and I did not enjoy it. The ball's too hard to catch in your hands. It just it hurts my hands, man. I, I just did not like it. I was not, an, I was not a particularly sports child anyway, but yeah, cricket was one of the ones I really didn't like. But guess what, Luke? This uh, this did get, it was going to have an Atari Jaguar port. Yeah, it was. And guess what? <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> it didn't did. happen. <laughs> the only reason I'm going to keep bringing it up is because you are one of the only people I know that's, that owns an Atari Jaguar, like personally. I mean, I see people oh, yeah. online that have them in their retro collections, mostly still in the box, but you are the only person I know that still has one. And I've just realized you're going to have access to that again soon. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I think it's at my parents' house, uh, so I won't have access to it anytime soon. Soon being relative. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Graham Gucci's cricket. Sound good? Well, our celebrities waiting in the outfield to knock them for six. Please give a big hand, if you will, for Liam Botham and his opponent, Matthew Allen. <laughs> OK, thank you very much. 
Now, Liam, you're playing for Hampshire this summer, yeah? Yeah, that's right. I'm playing for summer, and uh, hopefully it'll go all well for me. Yeah, I'm sure it will. How does your dad feel about that? No, he's very happy, and he says uh, he just hopes to do well. I'm sure he will. Good Thank one. You. So, Matthew, you'll be playing against Liam. Liam Botham. You're a bit nervous. Cricket, I mean, it's not going to be easy. Oh, I've played some good strokes and I've bowled some good balls in my own time yeah. when I've been playing cricket. So, have you chosen your teams then, lads? Yeah, I'm going to be Australia. Why is that then? Well, hopefully I'm going to win now. <laughs> yeah, alright then, what about you? Uh, I've been numbered with England. Our celebrity this week, as we teased last week, is Liam Bothan. He's going to be taking on Matthew Allen. Liam obviously being the son of cricket legend Ian Beefy Botham. Um, and he's there in his whites, he's playing for Hampshire in the summer. You know, they sort of talk about his dad a little bit, but Liam is, he's not enthused about this whatsoever. No, and he does play for Hampshire in the summer, but I'm not sure how enthusiastic he was for cricket either because he didn't play cricket for that long. We're tail end of 93 now. By the end of 97, he was done. Mm. He went over to play rugby. Do you, do you think then that this might be that, well, your dad played cricket, so you've got to play cricket as well now? And your dad made like, a lot of money playing cricket as well. I mean, his dad still makes money off cricket today. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh, Liam has a bit of money trouble because he played rugby union. Uh, he then moved on to rugby league after becoming disillusioned with rugby union. So clearly, yeah, he had some commitment issues with regarding to his sport or his league. He went bankrupt a few years ago, owing nearly £50,000 because he owned and ran two shooting estates huh. and owed £50,000 for pheasants. Wow. Bloody hell. So he literally went bankrupt over buying birds. Mm. And I mean, to be fair, it's not that he got bored with sports and that's why he suddenly became like a pheasant plucker. It was actually, an, uh, he had an injury in 2005. So he actually retired from rugby at, two, at 27. Oh, man, that that, That's no age. Although he did briefly indicate that he might re-enter cricket again after the retirement from rugby, because a neck injury probably wouldn't stop you playing cricket. Mm. Yeah. You stand around, you talk a lot, you run a bit, you talk a lot. Yeah, go and have some jam sandwiches. I've probably upset a lot of people with that statement. Uh, so Liam will be playing as Australia, and that's how he's going to win. And Matthew, unfortunately, has been lumbered with England. Um, so it, I suppose if you're watching a lot of cricket, these are jokes that will land with you. I'm guessing England aren't very good at cricket. I know enough about cricket to get that. Australia wins a lot. We don't. Fair enough. That's why Australians will frequently mention the ashes. And they're not talking about clones of me. They're talking about <laughs> a cricket type thing. Whoa. With me in the commentary box this week is Dave Perry of Mega Power magazine. How's it going? All right? All right, Good stuff. Now, cricket and computers doesn't seem like an obvious combination to me. Well, it hasn't been in the past. There's been some really horrible cricket games, some really dodgy yeah. ones, but Graham Gooch seems to be the first one that actually has the right feel about it. There's some nice features like a little map of your, uh, of your fielders in the bottom corner of the screen and right. lots of nice cutaways during the game, which really gives you a, field, a feeling of batting and bowling. Good stuff. While Dave Perry and his muscle shirt are in the booth, uh, he talks about how there's been some bad cricket games in the past, but this is the first good one, which makes me think this is a paid-for um, advert for the game. Uh, which we've seen a lot of in Series 3. We have, although he's right. Oh, I mean, this is one of the better-looking ones, yeah. Uh, no, it's also a good game if you like cricket games. But you can tell that the rain's definitely off and the weather's turned out because, yeah, sun's out, 
guns out. It's got the bandana on for a bit of protection up top, though. Oh, that's always sensible when you're at the cricket. So, yeah, so, this, I mean, I don't really know how to sort of commentate through this. They've got six balls each, and there's no runs on the first ball. The second one, I wasn't actually sure who was bowling and who was batting. I think um, England, are, England are batting, I think. Anyway, they get uh, eight runs, I think, by the end of this. No, you're absolutely right. Liam is bowling. Matthew is batting. It's not spectacular. And this is a really awkward challenge for Games Master. Even Dex doesn't know how to introduce it when he says, you know, are you both ready? Okay, uh, cricket away? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. You'd never have thought that golf would have been a better fit for a challenge on Games Master. But no, here I know, we are. Right? Or snooker. I mean, I give them credit. They've simplified it because, yeah. It's six balls each. That's it. Most runs wins. He does okay. He doesn't score any massive runs. He doesn't like hit the ball to the bleachers or whatever. There are baseball balls to it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, he hits the ball. It goes away. He runs. It's okay. Most of them skid along the ground, which I'll be honest, as we probably last played cricket at school, that was the best we managed. Yeah. And you don't want them hitting out much further because that's where I am. And I, I want to be far away from the ball. I don't, don't hit the ball towards me. I'm, I'm standing out far on field because I don't want to get involved. Stop trying to get me involved, Mr. Wall. I don't want to play this game. Breathe, Luke. Breathe. <laughs> You're back in the room. We're not at school anymore. And I tell you what, if anything makes 2020 and 2021 better, it's the knowledge that we're not at school anymore. <laughs> For so many reasons. Right, he's got back. That's eight runs, I think, that Matthew scored. So if you want to see Liam, both of them batting... On Graham Gucci's cricket, stay with us until after the break. We'll be right back. As part of your nutritious breakfast, which cereal turns to milk more chocolatey? Cocoa Pops or this new one? Cocoa Pops? Very chocolatey. The new cereal? Even more chocolatey. So what is it? New, more chocolatey Cocoa Pops. I have this dream. It's about playing for my country. FIFA International Soccer from EA Sports. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Sega TV! Terrorism. On tonight's show, we expose the South American drug barons. This one! Okay, over to our jungle correspondent, hot on that trail. Oh, looks like we lost him. Okay, here's Jungle Strike. Fight the drug battles from Washington to South America from the safety of your own home. When the new girl took maternity leave, we all said, get Sue back. Oh, whatever happened to my old typewriter? We got rid of it years ago. Coffee? Yes, thanks. Microsoft makes software that makes computers work for you. So, you've used Microsoft. For as long as I've been using computers. <laughs> Microsoft, making it easier. Welcome back. We've got Liam Botham and Matthew Allen battling out on Graham Gooch's cricket. Matthew scored eight runs, and now we're going to see if Liam can beat that score in one over. So we come back from the ad break, and Liam is up to bat. And I can tell that, you know, in the first half of this show, I said, I couldn't tell if it was Liam or if it was Matthew that was batting and bowling. But really, I should have been able to tell by this, because Matthew is way better at bowling than Liam is. Like, the, the speed that he gets, like, that bowling meter up is so much more impressive than when Liam was bowling. It is one of those occurrences where you may be a professional cricketer, but this guy knows how to play video game. Oh yeah, I'm a gamer. It's exactly that's it. Like, and he knows, like, he knows how to get like the leg before wicket and all of this. Like, he knows how to like try and get his runners out, which is what I think he's pretty much aiming to do here. That being said, it's not like he runs away with it. Oh God, no, 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 not at all. There's two ways it can go: either Liam's not actually bad at the game, or Matthew isn't actually that good or they're both average they could just be it they're both average people at this game but matthew certainly i think understands the mechanics of video games slightly better yeah there is every chance that matthew has played previous graham gooch cricket games on the amiga or, or what have you but he hasn't actually played world class because this is a brand new game so that might be the case where he just he's not as used to this one like if you had to put him on an older game maybe he would have absolutely flawed this but as it stands, he basically wins by just one run. Like, it's a very, very tight outcome at the end. And when we do get to that end, Matthew is very happy. He pumps his fist in the air. Liam looks bored. He, yeah, he, look, he looks I'd... like he would rather be anywhere else than sat doing this appearance on Games Master. It is probably, I think, the most despondent I've seen a celebrity look actually thus far. Yeah, I would say Ian Wright is the only one that comes closest to this. Like we said there back in series two, that Ian Wright looked like he was it was a touch bored. But like Liam Botham blows Ian Wright out the water in terms of boredom levels. Like I think he'd have had the same reaction had he won or lost. I just don't think he really cared at all about being here for this appearance, being here for this show, 
or being here to promote whatever he was here to promote. I just don't think he cared. So, Matthew, well done. It's probably the first game England has won in a long time. First over Australia for a long time, yeah. Yeah, are you proud of yourself? Yes, very proud. Did you think you did well? Yeah, he did all right, yeah. yeah and the post-match interview kind of carries that through because, you know, Dex says it must be the first game England have won for a long time. Matthew agrees and says certainly against Australia. You know, he's quite proud of himself. Liam says that he did all right, but mostly... Liam looks bored and you can tell how bored he is because obviously Matthew wins the joystick and even when Punch Rockroin comes up the steps bringing that joystick out Liam doesn't react at all most people normally react to that hunker chunker man emerging from the staircase Liam no yeah not bothered at all really just not bothered at all so which which is a shame really because like you know Matthew is here he's clearly a cricket fan which is why they've put him onto this task and I don't know if he was a fan of Liam or at least, you know, a fan of his dad or anything. I, I don't know if Matthew had a great day doing this. You know, like what we said about with the Ian Wright thing, we, we think that the, the girl that was playing against Ian Wright probably had a really good day. Like she had a really nice day doing this. I'm not sure I could say the same for Matthew. No, I would, I would entirely agree with you. Hello. Who's first to question my brilliance tonight? Hello there. I've got a bit of a problem with Sonic 2 on the Mega Drive. Every time I collect the animals, I seem to die. Can you help me? I'll be ever so grateful. Mm, uh, well, well, my dear, you are in a bit of a fix. You don't actually want to collect the animals. It's the wings you're after. Oh, thanks. You're so clever. Well, um, well, thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, now, this first entry into the consultation zone here with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a skit, right? Like, this is just done to have Games Master flirt with a mature lady. Like, that's the that's the joke, right? Oh, no, definitely. Like, like this lady is in on the joke. Patrick Moore is on the, in on the joke. Everyone is in on the joke. And you know what? It made me chuckle. It, it got yeah. a bit of a giggle out of me. I love the concept that someone was playing Sonic 2 going, I've got to collect all the animals. And just Games Master going, ah, actually. Yeah, what you want, what you want is the rings, uh, and, my dear. And then, yes, having his massive brain praised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit weird. It was a bit weird, but it's not the first time that uh, Games Masters had a dalliance with a lady on the consultation zone. Auntie M turned up. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, this is a running gag for him. And like, and, and it's also not the first time that this show has sort of flagrantly disregarded the consultation zone as a segment on this show. Yeah, with the Retro Hour uh, interview with Dominic Diamond, he said that the consultation zone was easily the worst bit of the show because it was ne it's never going to be good because you only get to have three games. So if you're a viewer, you've just got to hope that one of the three games, you know, one of the three games featured on the show is a game that you own. It's not a good feature. And it does feel like there are times where they're like, uh, I don't know, put uh what was the one we had last week wolf child on it i didn't give a fuck i, I know a cheat code for it so we'll just put that on although crazily wolf child despite being a master system game it was a new game it was mm. it was kind of new ish it wasn't like they'd just gone oh duck hunt you know yeah, let's exactly. let's get yeah, yeah, duck yeah. hunt up here can you help me on battle toad and double dragon on the nes i can't get to the wall cannon on level three you obviously don't know about the special whirlwind move. You must choose one of the brothers at the start of the game. Now, when you're playing level three, hold left and then press right and kick together and you will spin yourself out of the vital cannon, making the rest of the game much easier. 
Thank you, Games Master. Despite the fact that I really like Battletoads and um, I really like Double Dragon, I've actually never played Double Dragon and Battletoads. To the best of my knowledge, this will be more like a Battletoads game. I mean, obviously, this, this hint shows that a fair bit. Mm. But it was developed by Rare. Rare were the people that made this game, so Technos didn't really have that much to do with it in its active development. And in fact, I just double-checked my notes, and apparently not only did Rare basically develop this game just using someone else's characters, under license, obviously, mm. they basically had very little feedback or involvement. They were just like, you're using our characters, we're getting money from it. Cool. Can you help me on Clay Fighter for the SNES? I like playing Mr. Frosty, but I always lose. Well, there's a special move you only need to do twice to completely fail your opponent. Crouch for two seconds, then press up and punch to perform a massive blow. Press L just as the blow connects for a devastating effect. Brill. Bye. And our final entry into the consultation zone this week is uh, a game that we've seen quite a bit in Series 3 of Games Master because they had the tournament for it, uh, the Gladiators tournament. It's Clay Fighter, and it's Games Master telling you how to do one of uh, Mr. Frosty's special moves. It also does illustrate that this game was quite broken on its uh, character balancing because, yeah, all the hint is is telling someone how to do one of Mr. Frosty's moves, but it's a move that if you land two of them, you've almost wiped out your opponent's health. Yeah. It's like the worst M. Bison kind of <laughs> dictator, bullshit or Sagat, or any any other character that at any point was overpowered. But this is a standard player character. This is something that I think you'll see more of as we get more 2D fighters that are pretenders to the Street Fighter crown, which is where the balancing of the characters is either broken or the game just has a a fatal flaw to it like uh, rise of the robots infamously oh, one of the ports yeah. you can just crouch and do a medium kick and basically that will get you through the entire game yeah totally and i think like some of the ports of like popular titles like mortal Kombat and street fighter like some of some, some various ports all do have these sort of various little like bugs and glitches in them where it's just like yeah if you just do this one thing over and over again you will just pick up the win but anyway that is enough hints tips and cheats it's time for our final challenge ian is back to play and he wants to know what the game is so do we so what are we playing games master for our finale tonight i've decided to use one of this year's biggest hits jungle strike on the mega drive washington dc is the location and there are evil terrorists everywhere intent on world destruction our brave challenger must pilot his helicopter, protecting the prisoner's motorcade, on his perilous journey from outside the city to the White House itself. Chocks away. We're playing Jungle Strike, and this is really cool because it's not a game that we've had featured on this show before, but also it's not the kind of game we've had featured on this show before. So I was really quite excited to see this. I've not really played uh, Jungle Strike or Desert Strike or any of these sorts of games. So I was kind of really intrigued by this. And it is essentially just do the Washington DC level. But no, this is a Mega Drive game. Uh, there was also a SNES port. There was a PC port. There was an Amiga port. It is more of the same. It, it's yeah. more Desert Strike. Somewhat oddly, it's called Jungle Strike. But this level is in Washington DC. Well, that was going to be my notes as well. Yeah, there's not a lot of jungle uh, in Washington DC at the White House. Although, given the exact time that we're recording this, the irony that we're talking about kind of an assault on Washington, D.C., I mean... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But at least we do know uh, who these terrorists are, because they're in camper vans, which could only mean one thing. 
it's the, the Libyans. <laughs> that was my exact note. I just wrote, run for it, Marty. <laughs> who, who, who do you think? The Libyans. What is it with terrorists and camper vans in pop culture? It's either them or hippies. Yeah, I side with one more than the other. I can see <laughs> me driving a camper van around following the Grateful Dead, but I just can't put myself in the mindset of being an insurgent or a terrorist or a Libyan terrorist in this specific case and going, yeah, a VW camper van. That's what I need to kind mm -hmm. of carry around me and my armed cohorts. And in the case of Back to the Future, a rocket launcher. Yeah, I, I guess it's just because, you know, it's got a, an easy slidable door. Um, again, it, it, it looks cooler than a transit van, I guess. And it's got the pop-up roof, I suppose. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, you kind of want a vehicle that's going to be robust, good handling, mm. and, and good top speed. I'm not sure a VW camper van is any of those three things. <laughs> but yes, the, uh, the repeated appearance of VW camper vans got a big chuckle out of me. Oh yes, one hundred percent. This is this must be a reference to Back to the Future. It has to be. It's the yeah. exact same color. That actually just puts this game even further up in my estimation because <laughs> we've had airplane references in this episode, and now we've got Back to the Future references in a game. And yeah, I'm I'm down with it. it more pop culture references, the better for me. So the game's Jungle Strike. You must have played this before. Yeah, I played it a couple times at friends. All right. Well, good luck. You're going to need it. It's a tough one. I know. And Ian's fairly confident on this. He's played the game at a friend's house, so he, which I'd imagine is probably him playing Desert Strike. But, you know, he, he, he seems fairly confident with this. Also, he's been playing it in practice today. And even if he'd never played Jungle Strike before today, there was a moderate to reasonable choice he'd played Desert Strike. And, you know, they're the same engine. It is actually very much a reskin. And I think he definitely has played this series before. I think he's definitely played this game before. I think he's got more experience on this series than just today because despite what the commentators say... Oh, mate, yeah. We'll he get to is, that bloody hell. He is... He's smart. Now, yeah. we've had disagreements over whether certain challenges were being played tactically, but I think we're both in agreement this was all about tactics. He knew how he was going to complete this level he was going to use the game's logic against itself yeah. and win that way. And whilst it may not have made for the most exciting challenge, I applaud him. With me in the commentary box is Chris Knight again. How you doing, Dexter? Very well, thank you. You? Yeah, not so bad. So, Jungle Strike, one of the biggest games of the summer, really, isn't it? Absolutely huge. I mean, this has been flying off the shelves like hotcakes. You know, it's probably going to be one of the biggest of the year, I reckon. It's going to be a pretty tough challenge as well, isn't it? It's not going to be easy. He's got to guide the President's motorcade all the way in from the edge of the uh, playing arena right to the White House. And that's a long, hard drive. He's got terrorists sitting out in camper vans. He's got uh, roadblocks. He's got all kinds of hazards he's got to get past. And he's only got one life to do it. Absolutely. Uh, Chris Knight is back in the booth. He calls this one of the biggest games of the year. So this is, you know, one of those paid for uh, product placement things. Talked about it being flying off the shelves. And yeah, because the gimmick of the game is that if the limo, because you're protecting the president's limo as it's driving up to the White House and you're flying in your little helicopter and stuff, taking out the, the terrorists in their camper vans. But if you fly off screen, the limo stops. So what Ian does is he just goes ahead, takes out all of the camper vans, then goes back and gets the president so he can have just a nice, quiet drive where there's going to be no terrorists uh, shooting at him. 
but the commentators haven't quite picked up on that's his strategy. So they keep saying like, oh, he's lost it again. He's lost the president. Where's the president? He doesn't know where it is. He's got no idea what, where he is now. He's got to keep uh, on the same screen as the motorcade or he'll lose it or they'll stop. So uh, he's caught up with him again now. So every time the car goes off the screen, the car stops. That's right, that's right. So he's got to keep it within sight at all times. Oh, we got two now. That's going to be tough. Taking him out. No problem. He's, he's sweeping through there. Where is the president? I think he's left it behind a bit. He's going to have to go back and pick him up in a minute. Where is the president? Uh, he's stopping to get some armor. That's right, some good ammo the there and some good armor. I was like, no, he's doing this on purpose. But, as you say, that then leads to there's about a minute of this challenge where nothing happens. And it is just the president very slowly driving to the White House and our man very slowly riding alongside him in a helicopter. There is actually one moment where he does legit lose the president because he goes ahead, he blows up the villains, and then he goes back to the president. And wouldn't you know it, the president wasn't where he left him or where he thought he left him. Turns out he thought he was in the itchy lot. The president was in the scratchy lot. It, it just happens sometimes, Luke. I bet you it's happened more than once over the past four years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. But yeah, there is like a good solid minute, like where the, and it is, I, I'd say, almost painfully slow. I absolutely applaud him for his tactics, but it does not make for the most dynamic of television uh, challenges. Nor does the point where he stops for more fuel and more armor, neither of which I actually think he needs, because no. you don't see him take much in the way of damage in this challenge. In fact, he's just really, really good in this challenge. There's no real criticism to the way he approaches it. I think they could have perhaps edited it to make it a bit more exciting. It would have been shorter. But the biggest issue they'd have had is both commentators basically calling him an idiot for losing the president. And you know what? We have our thoughts on Dex. Was he a gamer? Was he not? I can't blame Dex for this because no. the person with him who is meant to be a games expert is also making the same mistake. Exactly. Yeah. It's Chris Knight that's calling him out for losing the president and not realizing that this is actually just a tactic that he's employing. It's a bit frustrating because, mm. again, much like the challenge we disagreed on uh, where they were doing the pie hunting game in yeah. uh, Cosmic Spacehead, the commentary could have made the difference there. And again, the commentary could have made the difference here. If the commentator had twigged on and go, ah, no, look, see, he's doing this. By exploiting this aspect of the game, he's making his life easier. But no, didn't happen. But do you think it might be because they don't want to have the commentary basically say that he's exploiting a flaw, with not a flaw within the game, but exploiting the way that the game works in order to, like, to benefit himself? When, it, when this is a paid-for advertising slot where they're talking about how great this game is now it's flying off the shelves this that and the other yeah i suppose i can see where you're coming from and this game yeah. was i mean it, it was flying off the shelves i mean paid or otherwise that's true um it's just worth saying that this game much like desert strike got near universal praise i mean it was only yeah. by the time we got to the third game urban strike that people started to go hmm i think i've seen this before but I didn't actually play uh, Jungle Strike until much later under emulation, as so many Mega Drive games, because I didn't have a Mega Drive. Yeah, I mean, I never had any of these games, um, Jungle, Desert or Urban, at all uh, in my Mega Drive owning days. But watching this challenge did make me want to go and play it because I can already feel how it plays because I've played so much of Poltergeist, um, which is also an EA isometric view. So I already know how it feels to play. 
And I think it would actually be quite fun to do that from a helicopter's perspective. So yeah, I mean, this challenge did make me want to go out and, and pick the game up. So, you know, mission accomplished. And even if he was exploiting a behavior of the game, it's only going to work on this mission. Not all oh, yeah. of the missions are, you know, escort quests. Escorts, yeah. Okay, now the loot isn't quieting down. Well done, Ian. Please do yourself. Yeah, total please. Yeah, was it tough? Very tough. It was? Yeah. What was the dodgiest moment for you? Snipers on the corners. On the sheet, it's like a lot of armor. That is our last golden joystick, singular golden joystick that's not celebrity based for a little while because we don't get them in the team championships. So, yeah, it's going to be weird doing a big run of shows where we're not having these handed out left, right, and center. Yeah, we we get we get what one a week really. We get the celebrity one, and and that's it. Maybe they were running out. And even then, we've got like you know the FIFA tournament. So they're not getting because they, they, you know, they're advancing into the summer. So we're not going to get any at all for like the next couple of weeks at the very least. I mean, it's odd because when we started doing Series 3 and suddenly we went from a potential of three joysticks a week to two at most because you had the Celebrity Challenge and then you had the build up to the final. I actually kind of liked that. I liked the fact that it wasn't a case of, oh, you're always going to get up to three joysticks handed out a week. I, mm. I liked the fact that we were actually making it more meaningful. So you had, everyone had to compete two rounds, as, yeah, totally. as you were, to, to win. It's going to be an interesting couple of months, put it that way. It only remains for me to say, I'll see you next week. Same time, same channel, but better off and worse. And Dex has no outro line for us either. None of his uh, misheard quotes. He basically just says, I'll see you next week. And that is it. That is the end of the first half of series three the uh the, the prison setting of series three next week the team championship starts and it, it really is as the magazine said it's all change but that was episode 12 of series three ash what did you make of it it was okay yeah first challenge was fun enough if nothing else than because one we saw a icon of the 16-bit era bubsy the bobcat uh, i wonder you thought about the lad of the cypress hill t-shirt being an, an icon of fashion well okay we got two icons in the first challenge and we got bubsy the bobcat and a cypress hill t-shirt uh we also got the joke of 69 which is always welcome on this podcast mm-hmm. nice nice very nice the reviews were okay yeah i mean we had some big hitters in there we had fifa you know yeah. that, that's a, it's one of the biggest games of the 90s and lord mower man's no slouch you know that the mode 7 stuff in that's really impressive I think I'd be more high on the reviews if not for the fact that I'm already aware we're going to have to talk a lot about FIFA over the rest of this season. I mean, we'll get different versions of FIFA as the seasons go on, but for the rest of season three, at least, it's this original FIFA soccer. We don't even have a SNES port to look forward to in that regard. I did enjoy the feature. As much as a young Simon Amstel really got my back up, it was fun and also... It did make the team championships feel like a big deal because there were a lot of kids there. Mm-hmm. When they did that Mario challenge and they went, oh, yeah, we've, we've you know, gone through tens of thousands of kids from up and down the country. It was like, no, you haven't. Whereas this going, we've gone through the best gamers throughout the land and you see the audition process, it makes you go, oh, OK, that's, that's actually believable. That's plausible. And also that feature gave us one of the best lines we're ever going to have in Games Master history. (laughs) Celeb challenge was celeb challenge. The game was never going to be the most exciting, and I do put a good chunk of the responsibility in the hands of Liam Botham. 
an engaged celebrity could have made all the difference here. I mean, neither Dex nor Dave Perry strike me as the cricketing type, and I think that comes across in the commentary. Dave does a good job of saying what's good about the game, and that, you know, that's why he's there. He's there to do the hype and the play-by-play. Dex is always the colour commentator. That's that's fine. That's the roles they fill. Only one person in that challenge was interested in the challenge, and mm-hmm. that that's never a good sign. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I think I was a little higher on the consultation zone than you were. I, I actually really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, the, the shtick at the beginning made me laugh a lot. It, it felt like a proper carry-on kind of like Ealing comedy or Metron type, mm. type thing in the Flustered Games Master. And final challenge, not exciting, but really good gameplay. Yeah, I don't think that when they put this challenge together, they could have foreseen that this guy would exploit the, the the game's functionality that if you do leave the screen, the president stops. I think they probably would have expected him to have just you know gone side by side with him and there would have been more jeopardy at, at play. As it turns out, the lad was a little bit smarter than I gave him credit for and he just was like, nope, I know how to complete this level really easily. Um, it, it almost felt like a consultation zone. And, you know, someone going on and being like, Games Master, I'm really struggling protecting the president. And Games Master goes, well, dear boy, if you fly off screen, the president will stop. Like, it was like, you know, it was a smart way to play the game, which made me, it indeed me much more to that final challenge than the commentary um, sort of let on, really. And also, I think when they made their choice on what part of Jungle Strike to use for the challenge, they're a bit limited because most of the levels, if I remember correctly, are not quite that short. That's a fairly mm. short one. So they're like, yeah, with editing, we can make that fit the time slot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because it's not a time constraint challenge either. Like it is like it's not like you've got to get him there within two minutes. It's just like, no, you've got to get him there as quickly as possible. Not even as quickly as possible. Just get him there. Maybe that would have been a way to force the kid's hand is if they just timed how long it took the president's motorcade to get to the White House, mm. then gave him an extra 10, 15 seconds on top of that and go, boom, president of the White House, two minutes off you go yeah exactly he yeah. couldn't have done his tactic then or if he had failure no exactly yeah yeah no no joystick for him i mean for me this episode is let down by that celebrity challenge and that celebrity challenge really did kind of like take the wind out of this this episode sales and that is all down onto liam botham who is so utterly boring and bored by being there that i've kind of felt bad for the kid that was there i felt bad for the you know the, the games publishers who were you know a, a sort of wanting to use this to kind of promote the game and what they've got is a celebrity who couldn't give a fuck so that's a yeah, that was a real shame but i did really like the feature i liked my man in the cypress hill t-shirt and the three-quarter length plaid shorts uh in the the, the bubsy challenge and you know what and like as much as people can rag on bubsy uh, and quite rightly so that was actually a pretty decent little challenge so yeah overall i'd say this was a good episode it's not like the high to end on for this first part of you know series three but you know, I, I I had a decent enough time. It's not as good as episode ten, and it's uh and it's and actually in that case, it's not as good as episode eleven either. So what are you thinking for a, a scoring for this one? Because because I don't think it's as good as episode eleven. I don't think I'm going to go into the eighties for this, despite the fact that I did enjoy the first and final challenges to a degree. But I definitely don't think I can go into the eighties. So I'm I'm going to go seventy six percent. That's kind of like my gut feeling on this currently. I was at seventy seven. I was Mm. at 77. If not for that celebrity challenge, I reckon this would be an 88. I reckon I'd be looking at 88 to 89 because let's look at the facts. We've got the Bubsy. We've got FIFA. We've got that kind of cool feature showing the auditions. We've got 
shenanigans in the consultation zone. They always at least provide a little bit of variety to nervous kids reading an auto cue. And then we had a heavily tactical and really good gameplay in the final challenge. Every element that I've just said should be indicating toward either a late 80s or early 90s score. And then you've got Son of Beefy, yeah, who know, just yeah. drags it down. I mean, I don't mean to punch down on the guy, particularly as, you know, gone bankrupt due to pheasants. <laughs> Sentences I never thought I'd say in any year, never mind 2021. But yeah, it drags it drags it down. And uh, yeah. it, it, it means that this episode could have been not an exceptional, but a satisfactory conclusion to the first half of season three. Man, I can't believe I'm underwhelmed by an episode that gives us FIFA. I know, right? Well, well, you know, maybe next week or the next couple of weeks, because we're going to get a heck of a lot of FIFA coming up. So uh, maybe maybe that FIFA will uh, will bolster your opinions on things. But that is all we've got time for for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to get in touch with us, head on over to Twitter. Uh, we are there at Under Console Pod. We're on Instagram at under.console. And if you want to send us an email with your thoughts on the show, head on over to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want a little bit of real-time interaction, you want to talk to us, well, text to text, I guess. Yeah. You can join our Discord where there's a lovely bunch of people hanging out. I think the current topic of conversation as we record this is coffee, which, you know, I'm a big fan of coffee. I appreciate this. They're talking about Nespresso pods where I just, I struggle with that. That makes you think of hotels. Like that's the only time I've seen Nespresso pods like really being like utilized. Yeah, only time I've ever really used one was uh, I was staying in an Airbnb and they provided a bunch of different pods and I was just like, oh, I'll try one of these each morning while I'm here. And you know what? It was fine, but I couldn't <laughs> honestly say it was any better than the stuff I can make downstairs just with some grinds and pouring water over a filter. Exactly, yeah. But anyway, enough of coffee. Whether you like coffee or not, you can still join our Discord. All the details can be found on our social media or down in the show notes. Indeed. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where at the £5 level, you can get next week's episode one week early and ad free, which means if you're listening to this on the free feed, you can get the first episode of the team championships right now. It's a very, very simple app to use. You get a little RSS feed that you can plug into any podcast catcher apart from Spotify, and you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. But if you want to support us at the £10 level per month, you get a little extra bonus. Ash, what is that? At the £10 level, within your first month, you get sent our Patreon merch pack, which contains a Patreon-exclusive mug variant, stickers, badges, retro trading cards, Power Rangers at the moment, retro sweeties, as well as a £5 off voucher, which gives you a discount on our first under-consultation t-shirt. Now, that t-shirt... Other mugs, other stickers, and other badges can all be found on our website, which is underconsultation.com. Shout out to those £10 backers, Adam, Adam, Cliff, Gordon, Jamie, Matt, Misha, Nick, Phil, Rich, Robert, Sean, Simon, William, Zach, David, Palmer. That is all we've got time for on this edition of the podcast. We will see you next week for the Team Championships kickoff. We'll see you in seven days. Take care, everyone. See ya.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.